Good evening, everyone. Thank you for returning this evening. And as you might have noticed by now, there are no evening handouts. Uh, so you need to turn your Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible, rem just a reminder that there are Bibles under the pews. And I encourage you to follow along with me in Ephesians chapter 5. As Christians, it is very important that we understand what love is and what love is not. People speak of love in many different ways. People use the term making love as a euphemism for sex. And there is a great deal of sexual perversion that is wrongly understood as love. In addition, Christians can wonder what is the loving response to a person who is caught up in sin. What do we say? What do we do? How is love to be manifest in those particular instances? Love is something that is talked about a great deal, but in actuality rarely practiced. This morning, we saw that the love that is to be imitated, the love that we are to manifest towards one another is a God-like love. We are to love others the way that God loved us. And we are to be imitators, impersonators of Jesus Christ and the love that he demonstrated, the sacrificial love and a willingness to go to the cross so that our sins could be forgiven and we could enjoy peace with God. Well, in the passage that's before us, there is this positive consideration of love that we looked at this morning in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And then in 3 to 11, there is an antithesis, uh, an opposite statement of what love is not. How it is not loving to do certain things. And that is what we want to look at tonight. That is how love does not behave itself. What is not to be understood as the love that we are to be manifesting as Christians. So we look at this antithetical negative view of what love is not. First, love does not behave itself unseemly. There are three closely related vices that are forbidden. First, illicit sexual behavior is to be resisted, verse 3. But sexual immorality, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among saints. So we start with this, this phrase, sexual immorality. Sexual immorality refers to all sexual acts that are contrary to or violate God's word. This would include acts that are always wrong. There is no circumstance, there is no scheme, there is no provision for a proper exercise of certain illicit 
sexual behaviors. For example, bestiality, having sex with an animal, is always wrong. In the scriptures, homosexuality is always wrong. And a marriage does not make homosexuality acceptable. It is wrong across the board. But this term, sexual immorality, also includes sexual activity that is appropriate within the bonds of marriage, but is sinful outside of the bonds of marriage, such as premarital sex. Sex within marriage, that's fine. Sex outside of marriage, that's a whole other story. Hebrews 13.4 says, let the marriage bed be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So the sexual immoral, as it's referred to in Hebrews 13.4, are those that are engaging in sex outside of the bond of marriage or committing adultery that is being unfaithful to one's marital vows and one's marital partner. Secondly, indecent behavior of all kinds is to be rejected. That is not love. For it says in verse 3, but sexual morality, and now the words in all impurity. All impurity is that which makes a person morally unclean. In Ephesians 4.19, it reads, they have become callous and have been giving themselves to, up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So it is that which defiles a person that which stains or dirties their reputation, that which corrupts an individual's morals. Anything on that nature is viewed as impure. Then thirdly, inappropriate desires. Inappropriate desires, Ephesians 5.3. But sexual immorality... And all impurity or covetousness. Covetousness. Now that's an interesting concept as we think about immoral sexual behavior. Why is it associated with covetousness? Well, we can go all the way back to the law in the Old Testament and we can consider the Ten Commandments. And if you remember, in the Ten Commandments, it states, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor. So here we find that the problem with inappropriate sexual behavior is that, among other things, it is covetousness. That is... It is wanting what does not rightfully belong to a person. Anything outside of the confines of marriage is unlawful for us, for it is wanting something that is not legally belonging to us. It's transgression of the law of God. It's overstepping the boundaries. It's wanting what does not belong to us. And so it's wanting a person, for example, who we have no claim upon. It looks at sexual behavior 
is antithetical to what love really is. For love is to be sacrificial. It is to be caring for another individual. Where now we're into a whole realm of people that are not caring for others, but are caring for themselves. Sexual immorality is incredibly, incredibly selfish. It is the desire to satisfy one's own sexual desires at the cost of other people. Whether it be oftentimes in adultery, where a person is married and the person who's committing that adultery is not thinking about the effects that it's having upon that, that person's spouse or that person's children or that person's parents or we can go on and on. It begins to view sex only from one's own perspective of what we want and it fails to take into consideration the harm that it does to people's reputation, the harm it does to people's bodies, the harm it does to their spiritual and mental well-being, the harm it does to their emotional well-being, all those considerations go out the window out of a selfish desire to fulfill one's own sexual perceived needs. On the other hand, love is giving. It's not about ourselves. It's about others. So love is not selfish. Love does not take. Love does not defraud. Love does not harm anyone in any way. So this illicit sexual behavior is truly antithetical to what true love is. Then we find out that such illicit sexual behavior should never take place among the people of God. For it says in verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. When it says that it should not be named among you, it means that it should not be spoken of. But when it talks about not being spoken of, it's not, not talking about a, a prudish avoidance of the word sex or uh, sexual relationships, but, it, but it's talking about activities that, that we shouldn't have to delineate. We, we, we shouldn't have to enumerate. Uh, we shouldn't have to address specifically in the lives of people that the non-Christian ought to be, excuse me, the Christian ought to be ignorant of certain behaviors. Innocent, we use the word, and we think of young children who hopefully are innocent. That means they're, they're just unaware, they're, they're oblivious to certain sexual activities in acts, and we pride and want to guard their innocence. Well, there is an innocence that is to permeate the child of God so that even as mature, grown Christians, there ought to be experiences that are outside of our experience. 
there, there ought to be behaviors that are simply foreign to us. That, that we don't even comprehend, we don't even understand, we don't even contemplate, we don't even think about those kinds of behaviors. They are not within the world vision and view of our experiences. All of these sexual immoral acts are viewed as contrary to one's Christian duty and profession. For it says in verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. As is proper among the saints. An interesting terminology for the people of God, saints. Saints is used in two ways in the scripture. It means to be sanctified, to be set apart. That is that we are to be dedicated to God. And as we dedicate our lives to God, we are to present our bodies, the scripture says, as a living sacrifice unto God. So that we understand that our bodies are a temple, according to the book of Corinthians, of the Holy Spirit. And we guard our bodies so that they are, in fact, being used in the way in which God has prescribed. Our bodies, in that sense, are not our own. We have people that will tell us the world's view is, it's my body, therefore I can do with it what I want. But the Christian understands that we are not our own. We've been bought with our price, with a price, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And our bodies are not our own to do anything we want with. But we have a responsibility before God to conduct ourselves, our behaviors, our actions, in keeping with God's word. So to be sanctified, to be a saint, is to be set apart for God. The second way in which the word sanctified or saint is used in the scripture is to describe that which is holy. That which is holy. That which is undefiled. That which is pure. And we are to seek to keep our bodies pure in the sense that they have not been defiled, that we have not done with our bodies things that would bring about disgrace or uh, to ourselves or to the cause of Christ. We have that duty. We have that that obligation. So our love for God is going to be demonstrated not only in these acts of giving, etc., that we talked about, but our love for God is also going to be demonstrated in the way in which we exercise our, quote, freedoms, unquote, that we submit ourselves to the teaching of the Word of God. Secondly, love does not corrupt others through its speech. Love does not talk dirty, verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish thought. Filthiness. The word filthiness here means to bring shame or disgrace. There is filthy or dirty talk that is disgraceful, blameworthy. It's unacceptable in certain circles 
And unfortunately, more and more language is being tolerated today that one day would have been totally rejected. You think of television, for example, and censorship. The words that can now be said on television you know, 30 years ago were unheard of. Uh, you just wouldn't have heard them in, in polite society. But now people use profanity, but not just profanity. We're talking about, about dirty language. We, we're talking about sexual acts and activities. Uh, you know, we're, we're talking about these four-letter words that we all know what they are. And they just roll off of people's tongues. And I, because I was, knew I was preaching on this week, it, it just struck me that I saw printed on three different bumper stickers a four-letter word that wouldn't have even be, been said publicly, out loud, without people being embarrassed that people have no shame in putting on their bumper for everybody to see. We are not to talk dirty. Secondly, love does not talk the way a non-believer talks. It says, let there be no fil filthiness. And now the word foolish talk. Foolish talk. In the scripture, a fool is not a stupid person. In the scripture, a fool is one who rejects the authority of God. A, a person who denies God's authority over them. We are not to speak in a way that rejects God's authority, that condones what God condemns, that finds fault with what God prohibits in our activities, in our behaviors. We're not to be talking like the world talks. There's to be a difference. So thirdly, love does not make light of sin and its practices. For it says in verse 4, let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk. And now this third is crude joking, crude joking. And when it's talking about crude joking, it's, it's more than just dirty jokes. Certainly that would be included. But the primary emphasis here is we're not to belittle those who live righteously or hold to righteous standards. We are not to make people the brunt of our jokes. You know, the goody two-shoes that people refer to. The way in which, unfortunately, you know, uh, you go to certain situations and perhaps a person's virginity is mocked by those that view such things as archaic. Well, certainly, we are not to belittle righteousness. Uh, we are not to be ashamed of God's righteous standards. We are not to make light of them by the way we talk about them. Rather, 
Love speaks in a way that promotes people's appreciation for God. Verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. And at first reading, one might scratch one's head and say, how does thanksgiving come into this? Well, remember earlier we were talking about covetousness. Covetousness. That is wanting a relationship that is unlawful for us to engage in. Wanting some other person to have sex with when it's outside of the bonds of marriage. Well, instead of promoting covetousness, we're to promote thankfulness. We're to be appreciative of our spouse. We are to be appreciative of marriage. We are to be appreciative of those that save themselves, as it were, for marriage. <laughs> we, we are to have a sense of gratitude for those that are living in keeping with God's word. We should have praise for them and praise for God. And we are to express a thankfulness to God for his righteous standards. Our marriages are better for keeping our marital vows. Our marriages are better for the restraints that the scripture puts upon them. God's law is not a curse. God's law is a blessing. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. And the world will teach you that you are missing out by confining yourself to one person. Well, we find out in the Word of God, you are not missing out by confining yourself to one person. In fact, you are reaping blessings upon yourself, your spouse, your relationship, the church, your community, your family, others. And so there's to be a, a thankfulness for God's standard and law which is far different than belittling or putting down God's righteous standard or law. So it's very important the way that we perceive of God's law when it comes to sexual purity. Third, we find out that such illicit sexual conduct is inconsistent with being a child of God. Verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater. Now we have this addition to what it means to be covetous, and that means it is an idolater. To be an idolater means that we have put something before God. Something is more important to us than pleasing God. And when we engage in sexual behaviors that go contrary to God's word, at that point we become an idolater for we put ourselves, we put our desires above pleasing God. We want what we want more than what we want what God wants for us. 
So it says the, the immoral, impure, or the covetous, that is the dollar, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. That's how serious it is. That's how serious it is. They, they have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Not that the conduct prohibits one from being a child of God. That's not what's being said here. Sins can be forgiven. Uh, Corinthians, and I, I probably should have put it in here, because there's a whole list of sexual sins, and it says, such were some of you, but now you're washed, but now you're cleansed. So sexual sins can be forgiven, but we should never lose sight of the fact that they are not acceptable to God. That as we conceive of, of God's love, God does not embrace, God does not condone, God does not commend illicit sexual activity. That doesn't please him. In fact, those are sins for which Christ had to die. So they are not acceptable. And it is inconsistent with our profession of faith in our love for God to stand then engaged in these immoral sexual activities. That is not love as defined by the scriptures. So fourthly, we are to understand what is and what is not acceptable to God. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. We are, not allow, we are not to allow people to deceive us by twisting the scriptures. And we live in a day in which the scriptures are being tremendously twisted. So that there are churches that are saying that there is nothing wrong with homosexuality if it's practiced within the bonds of marriage. And so they extend marriage to uh, homosexual couples, and, and that makes the activity appropriate and right, and so on. Well, I, I, I'm sorry, but that's just not justifiable by the scriptures. There would be those that would teach contrary, but it's deceptive. It's deceptive. And we need to understand the truth of God's word. And that is. God does not approve of these sinful practices. Notice verse 6. Let one no, no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The disobedience is a failure to adhere to the teaching of the word of God, and it results in God's wrath. Again, this is not pleasing to God. This is not commendable. This is not acceptable. This is not right in God's sight. And we ever need to keep that before us in a period of time in which everyone is around us is telling us there is nothing wrong with this. As long as nobody's getting hurt, you have the right to do with your body whatever it is that you want to do with it. That's where our society is. But that's not where the scriptures is. Therefore, we are to have no part in these sinful practices. Verse 7, therefore, 
Do not become partakers with them. Do not become partners with them. Don't engage in sexual misconduct with those who see nothing wrong with it. Don't be taken in by that, but refuse it. And as you see, we are slowly building to a climax in this, this text. It's kind of like a ladder, and we're climbing the ladder rung by rung, moving from that which is wrong to what God accepts. And we find out that love, rather than being tolerant in the way in which our society understands tolerance, love reproves and opposes sinful behavior. Love, instead of tolerating, opposes and reproves sinful behavior. We are to be acting in keeping with our position in Christ, Ephesians 5.8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. This morning our brother Eric Jr. Uh, taught us from uh, Matthew, where we have the Lord's Sermon on the Mount, and taught us that we are the light of the world. And if you remember, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Then this morning we heard that we were to be imitators, impersonators of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now Jesus says to us that we are the light of the world. We are the dispensers of God's truth. And as children of the light, people who know the truth of God's word, the people whose eyes have been opened to understand what is right and what is wrong, we are to walk consistently with that understanding and knowledge. So first of all, we're to know the difference between good and evil. Verse 9, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So we are to be searching out and understanding that which is good, that is right, and that is true. It has to do with the the scriptures. Light makes a proper distinction between good and evil. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Woe to those who call evil good, and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. So there it is, light says what good is. And it understands correctly what good is and what evil is. So woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light, light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter, who turn things on their head. And we live in a fallen world in which our society has turned things on its head. And what is okay is not okay. 
what is acceptable is not acceptable. And what is the proper response is the improper response. So we are to know what God wants from us and what pleases him. Verse 10. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. What does God delight in? What does God delight in? So what does God delight in? God delights in our being light in the world. God delights in our being light in the world. And that begins with our consistently living in accordance with God's word. We are light by simply living life in an exemplary fashion. We are light simply by reserving sexual activity for marriage. We are light simply by not living together before marriage. We at work, we in the community, we who are engaged with conversations with others, and, and some, because of the day in which we live, will, will actually kind of scratch their, their head and, and say, you know, you, you've been dating for three years, you're engaged, and you don't live together? Uh, don't, don't you want to experience this relationship? Don't you want to test it out? Don't, and it just seems crazy to this, this world in which we live. But we are light simply by living a life that's consistent with what the Word of God has to say. But then we find out that there's even more to light than simply living consistently with the Word of God. And that is light exposes. Light exposes. Look at verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. So that's the aspect of being light by not participating in, by living a righteous life before God, but instead expose them. Expose them. In other words, we're to call sin, sin. We are to declare what's right and what's wrong. And we live in a society that tells us that that's extremely judgmental. Who are you to tell me how to live? Who are you to say that it's right? It may be right for you, but it's not right for me. Or it may be wrong for you, but it's not wrong for me. There, there's no absolutes. You have no right to tell me how to live or how to conduct myself. And you are being judgmental by declaring my activity to be sinful. And there are a lot of Christians that are buying into that. That we are being judgmental. We are not seeking to condemn people, but we are seeking to expose, to make clear the authoritative word of God that has an objective standard. It's not what is right for you and what's right for me, it's what is right before God, our Creator who has made us and to whom we are responsible. It is he who declares what is right and what is wrong, and we have no 
authority to change or alter his word. We have no right to say what he says is evil is good, and we have no right to say what he says is good is evil. But we must consistently declare what God says, for that's what light does. It exposes darkness. So we cannot give approval to sinful practices. We cannot even give tacit approval by our silence. We must speak up and be light in a darkened world where people do not know the difference between right and wrong. There really is a tremendous degree of ignorance because there's a failure to preach and teach the Word of God as to what it says about sexuality, what it says about conduct, what it says about behaviors. We can't be afraid of stepping on people's toes. Again, not that the desire is to condemn people, for we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but we cannot change what the Word of God says. We can't say lying is good when lying is not good. We can't say murder is good when murder is not good, and we cannot say that sexual activity is right and good when the Scripture says that it isn't. And conversely, we should not condemn sexual behaviors that the scriptures allow. The scriptures are not prudish either. And so we must understand what what the Bible teaches about, about sexuality. We must have a correct view of the love of God, of what it means to be a loving person. And at the core of being a loving person is a person who gives as opposed to a person who takes. A person who is seeking to meet the needs of others rather than seeking to meet their own needs. And sexual illicit behavior is always selfish. And ladies, don't let any guy tell you that you are being sacrificial by letting him have his way with you Again, that is selfishness, and it's not even proper for it's putting that person before your love for God and what God says as to how we are to conduct ourselves, how we are to behave ourselves. So it's a a very, very practical portion of the Word of God. So, conclusion. Lust is not love. Lust is not love. Sexuality, in and of itself, 
is not love. There's nothing loving about having a sexual relationship with a prostitute. Within the confines of marriage, sexual intercourse is a beautiful and wonderful expression. You never want to lose sight of that. But outside of the confines of marriage, it's a whole different expression. Illicit sexual behavior is not loving, it's the opposite, it is selfish. It does not take into account how we are defrauding others, how we are defrauding the Lord. The loving thing is to condemn sinful behavior, not promote it. We need to know God's word in order to rightly discern what is loving, what is right, what is true. Again, let me remind you that Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Love is the keeping of God's commands, not the breaking of them. Let's pray. Our Father, help us in this delicate and yet important realm of showing true love, even as this morning we focused upon the love of Christ and this incredible way in which he was willing to give himself for us and then the way that we were exhorted in Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for us. Oh Lord, help us to remember that to love our wives means that we are going to be keepers of our vows. We're going to forsake all others and cleave unto our wives and no one else. Lord, guard our hearts that we do not deceive even ourselves and hide behind a cloak of love for what is incredibly selfish behaviors and attitudes. Lord, open our hearts and minds that we can see clearly the difference between light and darkness. That we do not change evil for good and good for evil, bitter for sweet. But Lord, we understand. We have a true concept of right and wrong. And Lord, by your grace, help us to live to your glory out of a desire to praise and exalt you as a desire to be light in this world as a desire to demonstrate the reality of your transforming grace in our lives. Lord, help us, help us in this very difficult area to be people of your word and your truth. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.